This is Justin Brady, and you're listening to Radio Free Leader. Welcome to Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Burgess, best-selling author and recovering academic, and this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great stuff we don't share on the show by joining our community. You can sign up at davidberkuscom slash podcast or text Radio Free to 33444 if you're listening on your smartphone and you're in the United States. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit. This is a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox so you can listen in just one click. Again, that's davidberkuscom slash podcast or text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. And now our latest interview with another brilliant thinker. So who are you and what do you do? I'm Justin Brady, and I work for the CIA. Just kidding. I don't work for the CIA, but now they're probably on their way to my house to get me. No, I'm, I'm Justin Brady, and I write about inventive minds and why people think the way they do, why they create, and how they connect with their bosses and their leaders, and of course, how their leaders connect with them. Well, that's not the only thing you do. You also host a podcast about that same idea, travel around and give people your thoughts about all of those ideas. But yeah, that's a pretty good summary of like... Whether they want those ideas or not, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you just have to force great ideas upon people. <laughs> you know, I mean, so for, for those that are listening to the show, Justin and I met, I don't even know how long ago, several years back. Justin is a fellow flyover country resident, yes. and I love him for it. And hosted this thing was really the spark behind this really cool series called the Iowa Creativity Summit that I got to speak at along with our mutual friend and former Radio Free Leader guest, Matthew May. And Justin's really sort of coming to his own beyond just planning that as as a contributor to this, how do we do creativity innovation? How do we put the pieces together? How do we actually make it work? And it is not without his own provocative stances on things. For instance, one of the first ones that came up (laughs) on my radar was, you know, right now everyone talks about placing lots of little bets, failing on a ton of them, failing forward, failing fast, failing whatever. Failure is feedback. Insert poster at a tech startup's yes, yep. offices, <laughs> yes. as you may. And Justin really, in an HBR piece, really pushed back on that and said, like, oh, time out, time out, time out, time out. Let's rethink how we're thinking about failure because we might be going overboard on this. Yeah, no, that's that's a good summary. I like that. No, failure kind of uh, basically one of the questions asked in the piece is, are we failing at failure? And I just let that sit there and people say, huh, what does that mean? No, one of the I- ideas in that, you know, are we failing at failure? I hear a lot of, you know, especially when I was younger, I heard a lot of these really cool business executives and authors and really cool people that would say, you know, here's how important failure is. And it's important to learn from failure and it's important to understand failure and failure is okay. Fail forward. And I hear this crap all the time. But then I started realizing that many of these leaders are very comfortable talking about failure in the abstract, like other people's failures. They'll cite, you know, James Dyson and his lack of sucking, I guess, is how we'd say that. He made, you know, creating a bunch of vacuums that didn't suck, which is part of the problem. Um, but they'd cite all these kind of mistakes, but they wouldn't cite their own. And it was creating this big disconnect. So that's kind of why I wrote that piece. 
So, I mean, let's talk about this in your own life then. Like, because there obviously are lessons that we can drive from failure. But do you think some of this is like, is this just an overhyped thing that we tell ourselves when we're trying to say it's okay that we failed? Or, I mean, is there really a, a way to make sure that we're, we're not failing too much? We're not uh, only striving for stuff um, that we know we can do. Cause to me, th- that's actually, I think the more dangerous thing is that we just, set goals that we can never fail out and hence we never learn. But I think you can do the opposite. I think you can be so okay with failure that you just fail and and gloat about your failure and never actually extract the lesson. Oh, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think you can go either way on that, obviously. There can be waving the failure flag to, boy, I don't know what the right term would be, but you know, you wave it too often to simply excuse stupidity. I think that's probably, I think that probably exists. But one of the, one of the biggest challenges I was seeing is people that would not wave the failure flag enough or, or, you know, they, they'd essentially focus on failure as an idea and how important it was, but they wouldn't be vulnerable uh, with their own, you know, kind of like a, you know, we know that in order to get really lean. We need to be active and we need to eat well. But yet I, I'm not lean. I, I definitely could use some weight. There's a lot, you know, most of Americans could definitely lose some weight, even though they all know how to do it. I think failure is the same thing. We look at others and we say, you know, failure is this important, necessary thing, but yet we don't do it ourselves. And, and man, like, especially today, people are talking about failure all the time but they themselves don't come clean to their own staff. They, you know, they still feel that vulnerability. They still don't want to talk about it. And I think part of the, I think part of how that's, well, let's see here. I think part of how we are defeated is when we don't come clean ourselves. Everybody already knows the James Dyson story. Everybody kind of gets in the abstract. Yeah, failure is important, whatever. But people connect to their leaders that's that's where they connect and you you know you as a leader in a business or you as a leader at your university or other other friends that are leaders they're going to connect with the people they are leading and if they aren't coming clean about their own failures with those people they can't expect to lead them effectively so is some of this just like not doing a good enough job with that mantra like i was joking at the top of the interview that you know often we just kind of say all these mantras around failure we put posters and you know in tech companies or whatever about it but is it actually that we haven't gotten through to that culture is it that in most organizations there's still a price to pay for having failed and that's why we are not willing to come clean with it no that's a that's a really good question i think there is still pushback when we do fail and when you know when, when we do fail there still are consequences in our companies the consequences could take the form of maybe not getting a raise. The consequences could take the form of people no longer listening to you or your ideas. I've seen this personally, and maybe I'm maybe this is a case of confirmation bias, but the people we are more clean with, the people we are more open with, tend to judge us a little bit more rigidly. So I, I think I do see that in organizations, but that kind of comes up to the top of the organization because we all have a boss, right? Except for the CEO, which I guess has a board as his boss if it's a publicly traded company. Or I think it comes to the top and that, you know, the person at the top of the organization has to be willing to be vulnerable with those failures. And no one likes vulnerability. But if he's not, then it creates, or she's not, then it creates this whole culture of fail and get kicked in the butt. 
so it does it comes all the way up to the top any like any organization the top dog needs to understand that by not being vulnerable and open with their own failures they are creating a culture where failure is disciplined well and i think you know, that's what we're sort of used to even before this failure trend we were kind of used to the idea that you i mean you hide your failures or you blame them on somebody else or you point fingers to other people in the organization to pass the blame and CYA and all of those sort of things. So, I mean, maybe we're just at the point where this hasn't gone far enough, or maybe it's the point that we don't even really believe it, that we don't actually believe that failure is feedback. I mean, I, I can show you countless studies that show that, you know, the idea that you have to try lots of little things, figure out what works. Jim Collins would call it, you fire bullets before cannonballs, but like you, you, you put out feelers into there, meaning some of them are going to fail. How do we make that switch, though? Or, or I guess better said, you know, what organizations do you look at that actually do this well, actually let people be open and vulnerable about their failure, actually let them share those lessons, that type of thing? Boy, which organizations do it well? That's actually a really good question. I, I think Zappos is probably one of those companies I always go back to that does it really, really well. They're very open. They're very honest. That's you know a little bit of craziness in that organization. They're very interesting. I, I would say maybe Google does it well as as well. There are a couple individuals that I've followed. I want I don't want to talk about their names because I don't want to kind of give them up. But there are a couple individuals I've started following at the organization. What's really interesting is they're very unguarded about the company culture. They kind of they're open about some of the struggles that are going on, which I find to be very interesting. And obviously, it didn't hurt Google much, but I don't. I, I, that's a really good question about which companies are very yeah. good at failure. I mean, um, I think you, you know, know, I'd have to think more about that to be I, honest. I, I think a, one of, one of the challenges is like Google's a great example because they like they have a series of successful products, but of course, you know, I can we could go all day on products they tried that failed. Google Wave, Google Plus. Right? Right. All, all sorts of things that try and fail. And it sort of, it doesn't matter. But that's, that kind of is the weird question of like, it, once you already are successful, it's totally cool to try lots of things and people will forget your failures. But when Well, that's true. And, you know, everybody forgets. They, they talk about, you know, how much of a visionary, for example, Steve Jobs is. We, like, boy, if I had a nickel for every time someone brought Steve Jobs up and why he did what he did, I'd be richer than Steve Jobs, I guess. But... They all forget about all the crap Apple came out with in the past. I mean, there was the you know the fat nano. There was um, all these printer trays and Newtons and all this all this junk that just never really went anywhere. They came out with a gaming console too. They didn't they have a clothing line as well, and they had a bunch of just stupid stuff that never really caught on. But no one remembers those failures. They always remember the successes, and you don't get to those successes without the failures. And we all know that. But I think when we don't come clean with those failures to our staff, they either think we're a liar, you know, because we assume everyone's failed. So we, they, they come off as this liar that's misrepresenting themselves or just someone who's completely out of touch. But either, either way, it's a leader that can't admit his, his or her failures is a leader I can't connect with. I yeah. can't relate to that because inside I know I'm this disgusting, ugly failure. You like my inflection in there. Yeah. Deep down inside, I know I'm a disgusting, ugly failure, and I need to connect with others that are like me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. I, I, I got to circle back. One organization of note that I actually really admire on this is Adobe. Adobe. I wrote about this, I think, for Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago. Adobe launched this program called the Kickbox. I think not like kickboxing, but the idea was 
it was essentially a prototyping kit and it was a couple different prototype materials. I think there was a chocolate bar and a Starbucks gift card because we know those things are important. And then there was a thousand dollar Visa prepaid gift card. And the idea was you can start any idea, prototype it and take this money. The only requirement is at the end of it, you've got to actually share what happened. And I mean, I did not, I wrote this oh. when it first came out. I, I don't know the exact numbers on how much they would say was wasted money and how much was not. But I like that idea of we will give you, here's a thousand dollars to go test something. The only requirement is win, lose, or draw. You've got to come back and actually share what happened. And I think it speaks to that idea of, you know, there are several people in the organization that are thinking, oh, I'm a big, ugly failure and I'm the only one. So I better keep quiet. And the reality is, you know, we're kind of all trying stuff and sucking at it all the time. Right. But we just don't want to talk about it. It's interesting. That's one of the aspects of the podcast that I have is I ask people to go into detail about their ugly failures. And I thought this would be widely appreciated by most of the leaders that I've invited. And unfortunately, some leaders never make it into the podcast because they can't do that. And one really interesting example of this is previous guest, his name is Soon Yu, former VP of innovation at VF Corporation. They're the ones who do, you know, North Face, all that other stuff. And he actually recounts very, he's very open with his failures. It's kind of amazing. He recounts his failure scorecard and he works back from like six, five, four, three, two. And he, and he talks about all these just debilitating failures, humiliating, embarrassing things. And he also talks about how he was hired in his position at VF because of his failure. And he goes into detail about how they looked at me and they said, this guy's tried it all and clearly he knows what doesn't work. We need him here, which I thought was really, really interesting someone extremely open about failures and you just don't see that often. So, you know, he, you were one of the early guests, but you were pretty open. He was, but some of the other people, as I started to pre-screen and talk to people, I was amazed at how it, these su super successful leaders that, you know, shouldn't fear talking about their failures. They shouldn't fear that. They're clearly a successful leader. Anybody would agree, objectively successful, but here they are still trying to in some way defend themselves by not openly talking about their failures. One guy even said, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have any good failure stories. I'm like, you mean no good story? I just want, you know, we're, let's just talk about failure. It doesn't need to be a great story. He's like, no, I just, I can't really think of some time I failed. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And, but the, the, here's the thing is this guy is actually pretty successful. So I'm like, what's, what's the breakdown here? And as I pushed him, some people, you know, consider, you know, they, they have that mentality that, well, there's no such thing as a failure because I learned from everything. Okay, I get it. But I found that there's this giant disconnect because when my wife will tell you I reset at midnight, but I do remember certain aspects of struggle throughout my life. And one thing I do remember is all these really, really dark moments when I was trying to make certain things work. And I just remember feeling really alone in that darkness and in that failure and thinking that, Wow, all these superstar celebrities, they say just work hard and work through failure, blah, blah, blah. But that didn't really connect with me because I'm like, well, they can't possibly understand what I'm going through right now because they don't talk about it. They never publicly talk about the darkness. They don't talk about how sometimes if you're trying something new, it's like really, really depressing. It's really dark. Now, I'm not talking, you know, super dark, almost killed myself dark. And, and, I, and maybe that sounds 
too toxic on the podcast, but and there, I think there are actually on some of the podcasts, I have talked to people that went through that kind of darkness that are super duper star celebrities nowadays. But I just don't, I don't think we want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about the darkness in failure, how, how awfully depressed we feel. I, I talked to this one other entrepreneur and we, I, I was in kind of a mood. He was in kind of a mood and he came out and just, I don't know. Wait, I can't remember if it was him or me now. Boy, it was a long time ago, but one of us I think it was me started saying, boy, when I did my startup, I was puking in the basement every day and I was a mess, which is true. I was a total mess. And he's like, wait, really? Me too. He's like, I was a total mess. I didn't want to admit that to anybody, but wow, that that kind of feels good that there wasn't something wrong with me. And I think that's what people need to realize is that if you're going through the darkness, you're like out of money, nothing worked, everything's bad, it's ultra terrible, you have no hope left, guess what? You're not that unique. That's the way it's supposed to go. That's exactly the way it's supposed to go. And people don't know that. Yeah, totally. So let me ask you this one other question for you. Uh, You've been writing about this, thinking about this for a really long time. You've been puking alongside other startup founders, (laughs) etc. What have you learned as far as actually extracting the lessons? Because I think, you know, this mantra of failures feedback, or you can learn from your failures, and then they don't actually count as failures is great. Except, you know, tricks of human psychology, self preservation, fundamental attribution era, we tend not to actually be honest about the fact that it was us triggering those failures. What have you done to actually kind of like take ownership and then extract that lesson out of your own failures? I think I find value in just the relationships I have. I find value in the fact that I'm a child of God. And, you know, ultimately it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. And I think I think those things really do help me to keep me grounded. But I just try to be as completely open, as honest with people as I can be within reason that you, you can re- read people in, in such a way they don't want you to talk, you know, about something too much or be too vulnerable. Then, then it can just get weird. But I, I'm, I'm try, I try to be as open as humanly possible, even when new client or new project is on the line, if it's relevant. And I find that to be remarkably disarming to other people. Especially if I'm pitching some new client or new project and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, they say, give me an example of another client that, you know, something like this worked. And I'll just talk about some of the raw details and then I'll tell them, look, if this is something you want to do, this is just the reality. We're going to have to try a few things and it's going to get screwed up and you're going to lose some money. And we're going to try some more things because this is uncharted territory. And I don't I've never been you've never done this before and you're new in this area. So clearly I've never done this before, but I have some models that I think will get us through it. And I find being really open and honest with people is extremely disarming. But I've also seen the results pour out of that. I see that they're like, oh, well, this guy's being open and honest and they'll do one of two things. They'll say, you know what? I don't think you're right for us. And they'll continue in their deadly cycle of, uh, you know, no one admitting failure and everyone acting like things are hunky dory. And then eventually they'll just die and they'll say, oh, blah, 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 the economy. Or you'll create a conversation. They'll find a better partner that, you know, truly is better and they'll do great things or they'll use me and we'll do great things together. And when the tension does happen, and it always does, they're kind of, they expect that tension to happen and they're more open and they, you know, sometimes they'll come out and say, well, you said this and this isn't happening this way. And we can just really be open and honest rather than being passive aggressive and for them to be, you know, thinking one thing in their head and not saying it out loud. I just think when you are open and honest with those failures and you're really open and honest with people, 
as long as you're focusing on the goal together, like you said earlier, you just can't say to your teammates or your team, well, we failed and everything sucked and that's just too bad. Oh, well, you have to keep your mind focused on the goal and continually encourage and push forward throughout the openness of failure. You have to, you know, you have to use that as a tool to move forward. You can say, you know what? We failed. Let me tell you about a time I failed and used used it to move forward, relate to people and say, but we're going to get through this and we're going to come out stronger because of it. That's how we balance the being open with failure and not sabotaging our company's goals is continually pushing and focusing. That's good stuff. Very good stuff. So we'll have a link to Justin's totally failure of a podcast out there. (laughs) I'm kidding. We'll put a link to the HBR article as well. And a link to your own site. Justin, you know what's coming next because you've uh, listened to the show and been a longtime friend of mine. Our five questions for you, besides failure, what's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received? You know, it was was not specific... There's not a specific pull quote I can give you. The It was simply from my dad who modeled best advice. He is a dentist in Des Moines, Iowa. And ever since he was a little kid, he would work on his neighborhood friend's teeth with like pencils and erasers and stuff. I know that sounds kind of crude or like crude technology or something. But he, you know, I think it was all safe. (laughs) I think. Anyway, he had an obsession with working on teeth. I know that sounds really weird. People are probably listening to this thinking there's no way. But my actual, uh, my wife is the same way. When she was, she's a music teacher, choral music teacher. And when she was a kid, she would line her teddy bears up on the stairs and conduct them. Anyway, he demonstrated throughout his life that, you know, from a little, from as a child, the thing he was passionate about and the thing he was excited about, that's what he did. Very simple. And so he would say, as a, as a little kid, he'd come home at lunch and play basketball with me, and he would just say that he, how much he loved his work, and he came home, he was always positive, and people ask him, when are you going to retire? And he says, well, I'll retire when my fingers don't work. And when people ask him what his hobbies are, he's like, well, I, I already do my hobby. So if I'd retire, I'd be retiring from my hobby. That's, that's what he loves. So in his way of demonstrating that, that's kind of advice I got from him is do something you love because naturally you're going to be better at it and you will have a more fulfilling life, at least as, as far as occupationally speaking. What's an average day look like for you? There is no average day for me, Mr. David Burkus. It's all, it's all over the place. An average, uh, boy, uh, there's, it's, there's reading, there's writing, there's no arithmetic, thank goodness. There's also, you know, because we've talked about the fact that I have that podcast I'm working on. So I'm usually trying to convince people and pleading with them to come on my podcast as a guest. That's part of it as well. There's some PR stuff I do for other clients. And I'm usually working on some other deals or some other projects or something I'm passionate about. 90% of those will never see the light of day because they burn out or they just fall apart completely. I've written about a few <laughs> a few of those like I did on that Harvard Business Review piece. But that an average day is me essentially communicating with people and trying to get different various projects to move forward. Hmm. What are you reading right now? Right now. What am I I'm re- I think I'm between two books. I'm reading Don't Tell Dan Ariely this, but I'm I'm finally getting through his What's the title? It's the title of the book about why we lie. Is that the name of it? Or The Honest Truth About Dishonesty? Yes, thank you for saving me. Yes, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. I that's one of his I never had. 
and it was in my reading list, and I never bought it, so I'm halfway through that, and I'm also going back through the book of James in my Bible again. What do you believe that most people don't? Ooh, yeah. Shoot, I knew this one was coming. I believe that every single individual on this planet is a creative mastermind. I just think I call them applied. I hate that. I hate, hate the term creatives that's applied to designers and photographers. I despise that term. And I think it's really more about there are applied creatives and non-applied creatives. And that's really the only difference. If someone says, I'm just not that creative. I don't have a creative bone in my body. They are lying to themselves. And you and I agree on this, I think, because you've talked about in uh, the myths, myths of creativity, you talk about how Oh, you put it really well. And I was actually trying to write a piece about this and I'm still working on that piece, by the way. But you, you put it about how we, we tend to use that I'm not that creative excuse as nothing more than an excuse to withdraw from the process. And I, I can't agree more. I think every individual on the planet is a potential creative mastermind. And the only difference is if they realize it and apply that or not. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Let's see if I agree with you with the last question, too. So the title of the show, as you know, is Radio Free Leader. In your view, what makes someone a leader? The willingness to go where no man has gone before. Doesn't and I... the willingness to pull others along with him or her. And I think that's really it. And I think going in new directions is extremely hard. Like, we talk about it all. That's another thing we talk about all the time. But no one really does that. So Justin's podcast is called the Creativity Cultivator Podcast. We'll also have a link to the HBR article that we've been hinting at and talking about here, as well as a link to his website. Justin, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. Thank you, David. This is one of my life goals accomplished now. (laughs) Awesome. 